Welcome to another episode of Bright Headed Publishing Patio Book Book Club. I am your host, Kelly Morgan. Today, I'm excited to welcome our newest member, Natasha Dean. Natasha is a wonderful children's young adult author who has written so many books. Today, she's on the show to talk about her children's book, Maria and the Plague, a Black Death Survival Story, but we're going to talk about all of her books. It was a pleasure speaking with her and meeting with her. She's a wonderful guest. I'm so glad that she decided to stop by and become a member of the book club. Welcome to the podcast, our newest member, Natasha Dean. Natasha, thank you so much for being on the podcast and being the newest member of the book club. How are you? I am so good and I'm super excited to be here and to be uh, the newest member of the book club. The newest member! Yeah! So I'm so glad. I'm so excited because, um, you know, the book club is growing and, and you are somebody who has multiple books. I mean, several books. I mean, a lot of books, like (laughs) over 25 books. And that's a lot of books. Some people can just, are just trying to crank out that one, right? That one is, but you've got all these books. So I want to talk about your publishing journey and, and what that looked like. Did you always know that this was something that you wanted to do? Did you always know that you wanted to be an author? Oh, not even a little bit. I mean, I, I, when I was a kid, yeah, you know, I, I love books. I love reading. Um, but you know, whenever I would ask any of the adults around me, like nobody, nobody knew, right? How do you, how do you become a writer? Uh, no, no, go read a book. Right. <laughs> and so I thought, um, I thought perhaps it was just something like winning the lottery. Like you just sort of lucked into it. And then when I started pursuing writing, uh, that was in, I don't know, maybe like 2004, 2000, the early 2000s, because um, I was trying to keep my sanity through university. And, uh, and the information was just starting to come, like agents were just starting to have blogs. And I don't even know if Twitter was out yet. I mean, it was just like a little bit, a little bit um, pioneering days, you know, you just sort of wandered around and hoped you got the information. Uh, and then, and now luckily there's, there's loads and loads of information out there for, for writers who um, want to pursue this. Uh, then in the past when you just, I, I don't know, thought maybe you'd run into a publisher, your eyes would meet over the produce aisle. I don't know. <laughs> when you decided that you wanted to, to like publish, I, I'm going to publish this book. Did you know the steps? Did somebody kind of guide you? Was it trial by error? Did you know that, you know, I I need to do this or I need to do this or I need to watch out for this? Because there's a lot of predators out there in the publishing. Oh, yes. Um, It's very much writer beware. Uh, No, I didn't know any writers. Um, I didn't know about writing groups or writing organizations. Uh, And so I sort of stumbled around. I went into the library and, and got books on writing. Um, and I did not know then uh, that, you know, libraries are a great resource. There's lots of great books on, on getting uh, published. However, 
you don't want to read books that are published more than like a year ago because the industry is always changing and the industry is changing so rapidly that even if the book was published three years ago, chances are like that, that information is now um, like out of date, you know? So I, I stumbled around and then I started Google searching, you know, writing groups and then just started networking and, and um, finding, finding my people, finding my so writers. So how did you find your niche? You have um, a lot of children's books. I think you said 24. So mm -hmm. how did you find that that was kind of a niche that you could write for a genre that you could write for and be successful in that genre? Oh, I, I, I don't know that I, I have found that niche. I don't know that I have found that out. Um, I started out uh, in romance writing, you know, so adult romances because and and you know i think this is still true today for those of you who are looking to be published that romance uh the romance genre adult romance genre is the most open to unpublished writers like that's that's the biggest um space through the door kind of thing right uh you don't necessarily need an agent and all those kind of things so it was a business decision um as much as a creative decision to go into romance writing and uh, I liked it, but the time, at the time, it was still fairly restrictive in terms of uh, how, how you got to be as a writer of color and, and how your characters got to be in terms of uh, their identities. And so, um, you know, I, I thought this is, this is good and this is fun, but this isn't the thing that's like lighting me up right now. Cause I'm, I'm more like women's fiction than necessarily like a straight full romance. Uh, and, um, and I've been reading a lot of like YA in middle grade and, uh, they're, they're so incredible. Like just the, the scope of, uh, storytelling and the breadth of it. And I just thought to myself, I wonder if I could do this and um, started writing a YA novel in I think maybe 2010 and uh, got that contracted in 2012, 2013. And then since then, um, yes, you're absolutely right. I write for uh, all age groups. So I write for the little, so like the six and seven year olds, all the way up to the big kids, the 18, 19 year olds. I write in a variety of different genres from uh, fantasy to contemporary to historical and then writing for uh, different reading levels, right? So I have books that are for kids who read it at, at grade level and who love reading and love getting lost in stories. I also have books for kids who need a little bit of extra love and kindness when it comes to storytelling. So it's gonna be a simpler vocabulary. It's gonna be a linear plot. Um, and for me, I think my niche, if I could call it that, is just I really like stories and I really like telling stories. And so at any given point in time, the story I choose is just going to be the one where uh, my primary thought is, I think, I think a reader is really going to love this. And that's, that's the thing I always sort of keep close to me is, is who is my reader and how can I make this a really great experience for them? As a storyteller, I think the ability to tell a story cannot be taught. I think it's just something that's in somebody, right? But I guess my question to you would be is, how do you decide what story you're going to tell? Because it sounds to me like you're somebody that has a lot of stories in their mind. So how do you decide what story you're going to tell? Well, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that you say, and I love that. 
I am someone who struggles with writing and I am someone who really had to work hard and got a lot of kicks in the head to learn how to tell a proper story. Um, and, and both like orally and uh, written stories, right? So I'm, I'm Caribbean, I'm Guyanese, and Guyanese people, uh, Caribbean people, we love, they, we are storytellers, right? And I grew up listening to stories, um, but trying to tell stories was a whole lot of thing where you could just see the, you know, you see people's eyes glazing over and I thought, okay, um, so I really, I really had to work hard. I really had to work hard on uh, the proper ways to plot and, and how do you, um, you know, how do you, how do you parse out your character's secrets in a way that will keep readers turning the page, but not frustrate them because now you're just being like way too opaque. Um, and so, you know, like when it comes to the storytelling and which story I choose, uh, a lot of times it's just, I'm, I'm juggling different stories until the, the point where I can really hear like a character's voice, right? My main character. And then as soon as I hear their voice, that's the story I'm going to focus on. And that's the story I'll concentrate on until I can get it done. Um, but you know, for writers out there, I mean, you know, we write, which is great, but really the, the trick to being a good writer is, is to be a rewriter, right? And the first couple of drafts, I mean, all you're doing is you're telling yourself that story and it's going to have plot holes and character inconsistencies and like all kinds of horrible eye bleeding things that are happening in your pages right you're like let no one let, like, like let no one see this right this will never see the light of day right um and then at the point we start rewriting at the point we go okay well this is a good story and now i'm gonna now we're we're writing for our audience right and um and yeah, so it's just, you know, it's listening for the voice. And then when that story is at the point where I'm like, okay, there's there's the edit. Then usually what I end up doing is uh, letting it sit for like a month or so and going on and working on something else just so I can create that distance. And as writers, I mean, we know that, right? We get really close to our stories and then we need to like set them aside. It's like bread rising, right? You gotta let it, you gotta let it rise. You gotta let it settle. You gotta let it sit. And then you come back with a, a clear eye um, and you don't mind taking out that scene that took you two weeks to write because you realize that actually that scene's not necessary and you don't, you know, um, and you're okay taking out that really funny line that you're so proud of, but you just go, okay, well, I'm going to say that for another book, right? So you, you start writing with someone else in mind other, other than yourself. And sometimes that's hard because you are, you're right, you're very close to your work to the point that you don't even see mistakes anymore. Oh, it's it looks true. perfect. Yeah, it looks yeah. great. Yeah. There are no errors, <laughs> you know. And it's full of oh, errors and typos and. Gosh, is that true? Right, and then you go back a month later and you're like, "What? What am I doing? Who, who told me this was good? Like, bro, right. you have failed me." Yeah. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. So let's talk about the book. You've got so many. So so pick one. What one are we going to talk about? Well, we can start with my most recent one, which is Maria and the Plague. And that's a girl survive story through Capstone Books. So tell me about the girl survive story and then tell me about Maria and the Plague. Okay, so and I'm so happy to talk about uh, Capstone. So Capstone's Girl Survive series is incredible. So it's written for kids who are eight and up. Right. So they're they're very appropriate stories in terms of really knowing uh, the line between uh, excitement and suspense and fear and not blowing the littles out of the water because the the content is is just too, you know, um, gritty for them. 
And the reason I'm saying all this is because Girl Survive is exactly what it is. It is girls at really pivotal, traumatic, dangerous times in history uh, surviving through these moments that we just sort of, we know about when we uh, look at the history books, right? But I mean, we've got uh, girls surviving the Titanic, girls surviving 9-11, uh, the the shirt shirtwaist fire I always get that wrong but the big fire that happened in New York in the early 1900s that um, ended up killing so many people it was actually the genesis of why we have fire codes um, the night of broken glass uh, you know um, there's a Charlotte I think Charlotte and Charlotte and the road to freedom or Charlotte and the ride to and and Charlotte you know working as a spy um, you know during the time where uh, black Americans are like, you know, struggling for freedom. They're, they're, and people are fighting against slavery. And there's, there's Charlotte who's, who's doing her best to like help out and, and do what she can, you know? So, um, they're, they're just really, really incredible. And then, uh, Maria, which I was just so excited to write about. So, Maria is 1347 Florence, Italy. And 1347. Uh, Florence, Italy was not a good time. Uh, they had gone through earthquakes. They had gone through, I think, six months of rain. And so there was no crops. Um, and, you know, you've got people who now the government is actually rationing bread because that's how desperate things are. And people are eating weeds to survive. And just to the point you're thinking, well, this just can't get any worse for these poor people. In comes the Black Plague. And now, you know, there's Maria with her dad and her brother um, doing their best to survive uh, at a time when people didn't really understand pandemics and they didn't understand the science behind viruses and, and how to keep themselves safe. And so it was such, so I have to say this. So when I wrote this and re was researching, we hadn't gone through COVID yet. I was correct? gonna ask you no, that. I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> We had, we had not gone through COVID. I'm reading all of this history stuff and freaking out and saying to like my family and friends about how glad I am that I'm not living through a pandemic. <laughs> wah, wah, right? <laughs> so it was like November and then end of January. Boom, boom. right? Pandemic, pandemic, right? And so, you know, when the pandemic here, like when COVID first hit, I remember just like having so much anxiety because the the parallels were unreal. You know, just like the way that people, some people were like, oh, nothing's, it's all fine. It's all good. Nobody needs to worry. And then, um, you know, just like uh, the government's doing their best, but not quite getting it right. And like, um, you know, and just, just things like, uh, so, you know, you've got Florence, Italy, where um, people are holding cloths up to their faces and flowers. They're trying to block the smell and they're trying to like, they think this is going to help them and protect them. And here we are paralleling wearing masks because we know that it's going to protect and keep us safe, right? You've got um, us with our travel restrictions, but 1348 Florence, because that's, you know, the timeline was about three to five years, uh, th them too, right? They were restricting travel. They were restricting people's movements within the city. Um, and and they actually brought in kind of like this uh, pseudo military group to make sure that people were holding up to their to to what the the city fathers had said that they needed to do to survive. Um, hilariously enough, 
uh, Nostradamus, it was showed up in the research as a guy who was like, we should all be showering and washing our hands. And, you know, the, the, it's like medieval times where people are like, oh, gross, that's disgusting. Why would you? That's terrible. That's not good for your health. Right. Uh, whereas we know now, like, yeah, no, you want to wash your hands. You really do. Um, and then, you know, uh, and then the other parallel that I really loved was uh, the idea and the reality that in, in both times you have people stepping in to help other people and um, the kindness of neighbors and the, the kindness of strangers and that even though there are these really scary things that are going on and we're not necessarily sure like you know um, people were still like we are we are stronger together we are stronger as a group and we're gonna choose like we're gonna choose the safety and protection of all of us over like the one of us you know right. um, and it was just that yeah, was it was such incredible research and and um, and yeah, and then here we are, right? Like however many hundreds of years later doing doing kind of similar things. That's just an interesting parallel because there's, there's I'm sure by now there are books out for children about COVID. Mm-hmm. But the plague is something that you can say this happened long time ago and these people survived. Yes. Right? In, yeah. You know, it, it, they did survive the plague. They, we don't have that anymore on that level, that scale. And that kind of says, you know, it will be okay for us yes. here in this time as well. Yeah, we, we will get through this, you know. And the fact that we've got not one but four vaccines um, within a year of, you know, when it really hit hard was March, right? That's when everything started uh, going into lockdowns and, and really severe travel restrictions. And here we are like in March and people are already being vaccinated and people are already getting their second vaccine shot. You know, like that's incredible. That is, if you ever want us to know about like hope and the the goodwill of humanity and the fact that we will band together to help each other, I, I can't think of a better example than four vaccines within a year. Like the, the science and the technology and the teamwork behind that just, it blows my mind. It's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, ex- it's extraordinary. It really is yeah. because it doesn't happen all the time and it's history and that's what I tell my kids I said this is history this is history they will be talking about this years from now oh for sure for sure right one day it's gonna be uh, someone coming up to your kids and being like okay grandma okay grandpa like what was it what was it like? And they'll be like, right. oh, there, there were, there was runs on the toilet paper. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. So Natasha, uh, you are so funny. You, I love you to death. Oh my God. You make me laugh. So let's talk about your, your other books. I love Maria and the Plague, and that's a part of a series, but then you have other series, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So tell me about the other series. Uh, so for older kids um, who like really dark horror kind of stories, there's the Guardian series, which is a trilogy, um, and that's all about Maggie Johnson, who sees the dead. And in the first book, Guardian, um, Maggie... Maggie is faced with quite the dilemma. Maggie is being haunted by the ghost of the kid who bullied her. And Maggie has to make a decision about whether or not she helps this kid uh, or she just stays quiet and just 
allows him to like linger in this weird uh, limbo as punishment for what he's done to her. And um, you know, and, it, and it's like a mix of horror, fantasy, um, mystery, you know, comedy. I mean, if you if you read my stuff, there's always like a little bit of funny in it. Um, but really, you know, like what I was trying to sort through in that particular book was um, how trauma haunts us, right? How the bad things in our lives, they just kind of follow and they just kind of linger. And, and what do we do? Do we face them? Do we, uh, and, and how do we face them, right? So it's, it's about forgiveness and, and letting go and resiliency, but sort of scooped up in this um, super dark story that, you know, touches on abuse and um, abusive minors and domestic abuse and all all these kinds of things um, and then for the little so the six to nines um, there's a much lighter series <laughs> called uh, it's the Lark and Connor Baugh mystery series and they are uh, biracial twins they are um, black Asian kiddos and um, and it's summer vacation and they are getting all kinds of cool mysteries that they get to solve. So in the first one, it's Mrs. Robinson who's lost the key to the, to the town library and Lark and Connor step in to help her because they really like her and they don't want anybody being mad at her because she's lost the key. And it goes on from there. There's like a diamond theft. There's vandalism at the you know community theater. Uh, and they're really fun. They're really light. And I, I really like them because Lark is, is a dyslexic character. And in the books, you can see her trying to spell and then crossing other words and then trying again. And at the back of it, um, the back uh, subject matter also has, uh, it teaches idioms, right? So in the first book, uh, she talks about having ants in her pants and she explains what that means. And then, you know, someone makes a comment to her about upping the ante and she doesn't know what that means, but she's determined to solve the mystery. And, and you know, do it quickly because she if she doesn't know what upping the ante means, but she certainly doesn't want to have it where you know someone has to up the uncle as well. You know, right. so it's it's those it's those kinds of things, you know. And then um, for the guys in the middle, so the grade like fives and up, uh, there's a really fun series uh, called the Retribution series, which was um, done with two other authors. So I did two books and then Judith Graves did two and uh, Sigmund Brower did two. And the really fun thing is we each got our own characters and we're each, um, it's kind of like matrix C where we're each writing kind of the same story, but the different characters perspective. And so there's, there's shared scenes. Like each kid has their own thing. So, um, in burned, I've got Josie, who's my main character, her parents, um, her mom and her, her brother, uh, died in a fire and she's come to realize that it was set by a corrupt cop and so she's gone underground and she lives on the streets because she's looking to find her retribution she's looking to bring this cop to justice um, and in the second book in terminate her uh, one of her friends goes missing and she goes on a search and gets pulled into the world of um, illegal street fighting and so you know retribution is sort of like the a-team meets Robin Hood for kids in like grade five and up. Um, and so they're they're very centered around like social justice um, and and things like, you know, where is the line between justice and, and vigilanteism? So so yeah, it's a whole it's a whole scheme. <laughs> I love it. So because you write so many children's books, I'm imagining you going to libraries, I'm imagining you going to schools. And, and presenting your books in that way. Is that something that you do? I do, I do. And um, 
You know, the kind of cool thing with uh, the silver lining of pandemics is that because everything has gone virtual, uh, you can go anywhere now. You know what I mean? Um, and so I'm part of the uh, 2021 CCBC book tour. And what that means is I get to go visit schools in Nova Scotia. I'm visiting schools in Saskatchewan. I think I'm visiting schools in Nunavut as well. And I get to I get to visit with like all of these amazing people and share stories and hear their stories, uh, all from the comfort of my own home. <laughs> right. And so I mean, what a what a weird, cool thing, though, right? Like, uh, you know, p- the pandemic may may get us down, but it certainly can't keep us down. Right. You know, it's really funny because of the pandemic. I think the opportunity to meet people all over the world has really opened up because we can all do it virtually now. Oh. And we always could, but there was always something about going to that place, you know, speaking in person. But now when you're when you we've adapted to virtual, I don't think it's something that will go away even when we have our new normal of traveling yep. and being able to gather again, but I think the virtual platform will stay very popular, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think also with companies, they've realized that they don't have to yank their employees into a central location, right? That some jobs can be done remotely and it's boosting, you know, for some people who enjoy it and are choosing it, like it it boosts their morale because then instead of commuting an hour in the car, they take that hour and they go for a walk and then they, they come to work, you know? Um, and so, so yeah, I think, I think it's been a really, it's been a really interesting shift and I don't know that necessarily we're going to shift back to think the way things were, you know, pre 2020. Um, and I don't know if that's necessary, like that's not necessarily a bad thing. If that gives people more space to kind of live the life as they choose to live their life and be able to sort of move around the world in a way that's, that's comfortable and uplifts them. I think that's a pretty darn good thing. I do too. I yeah. do too. So are any of your books on audiobooks? Are any of them oh, audiobooks? Yes. Uh, I, I think Lark is. Um, and I know uh, In the Key of Niragani, uh, which came out in 2019, that's also an audiobook. And that's if you, you know, if you like funny, snarky characters, um, Nira might appeal to you. So Nira is an immigrant teenager who desperately wants to be a trumpet player. And her mom and dad, who are Guyanese, are like, no, we did not come to Canada to, you know, have you fall into the gutter and be an artist. You will be a doctor. You will be a lawyer. Like, you will be a professional, which is which is really, really common within um, the brown communities. Like, they really push, they push us to, to choose professional uh, jobs over, like, necessarily the artistic jobs. And so um, through, you know, through the scope of the story, she's trying to navigate uh, with the help of, a, of her grandmother, um, who is a force to be reckoned with, and, um, and some of her friends, like trying to, to get her parents to come on board uh, to let her sort of dream her own dream instead of living out their dreams. So it's funny and it's sad and it's, it's gotten really good reviews and, and really great feedback. And that one is definitely on, on audiobook. Are there any plans to put any of the other books on audio? Uh, you know what? Probably. I usually just <laughs> I usually just work on what I'm working on. And then as my publishers uh, come in, they'll be like, oh, hey, this is what we're doing. Go, oh, OK, great, great. Thank you. 
you know um but yeah i, I hope so i i think there's a couple um but yeah i hope i hope for more i mean yeah why not audiobook opens okay. up your audience even more oh for sure to those who are maybe you know stuck in the car yes. doing that commute right the perfect time it's to listen true. to a story it's so true. and i like being read to so i love audiobooks <laughs> well you know and it's funny that you say that because i'm i'm of two minds it depends on what i'm listening to but i don't know if you've ever had the you know where you're reading a book and the the author just goes on to a tangent and you end up just sort of flipping the pages because it has nothing mm. to do with the story yes and so um you know i know i know that's my frustration with audiobooks if i'm listening and then i go well, this has nothing to do with the story. And then I'm trying to like fast forward to the point <laughs> where I'm like, okay, hard to do. That, that's hard to do. Right? Because then you're like, show. oh, I just missed this whole, okay, now I got to go back. Right? So then you just like let it play and you go, you know, you're listening with half the ear and yeah. <laughs> that's funny. So yeah, but you know, I think it opens up your audience, your audience especially for kids, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. So I think one of the important things about children's books is the ability to find a great illustrator, Mm -hmm. right? To really help bring your characters to life. And from the books that I've seen of yours, it looks like the illustrators have been fabulous. But if somebody is looking for an illustrator, what advice, and they're, and they're trying to be a children's book author like you, what advice can you give them? That seems like that to me would be a little yeah. challenging. So how do you go about doing that? You know, that's a great question because it depends on if you as a writer are choosing to self-publish and independently publish, or if you are choosing the traditional route. So if you're choosing the traditional route, um, your publisher will, will choose your, your illustrator for you. And I've been really lucky because every single one of the illustrators that they've picked have been phenomenal, like just super amazing. I love, I look at those illustrations and I wish I could draw like that, like I wish. Um, but now if you're going into the independent route, uh, that's that's gonna be a little bit different, right? That's gonna be a little bit trickier. So you're gonna wanna do things like going on Instagram, um, you know, finding finding out who the illustrators are like I think so if it was me if I was going to do an independent publishing uh, book and I was gonna find my own illustrator I think what I would do is I would go into the library um, and I would look at different picture books and I would look at those illustrators and then I would go online and I would research them and I would see if they uh, take on you know independent work if they take on commissions or if they just solely work for for publishing houses um, and then I would also really uh, look at my budget because, you know, illustrators, you know, illustrators and writers, I mean, none of us are, are working for free and we all have, I mean, we all have bills to pay, right? And, and it's great to sit there and I, I think it's one of the, the things that we have to be really careful about as artists is, is those gigs where people say, well, oh, I, I can't pay you, but, you know, I, I'd love to tweet you out. I'll give you exposure. And I always think, well, that's great, but I can't call up Visa and say, hey, Visa, uh, would you take this person's tweet as my monthly payment this month? Like Visa's gonna be like, no, man, give me the money. And it's the same thing. So um, I don't know what the standard fee is for illustrators, uh, but it's, it's not gonna be pennies and it's not gonna be like a couple of bucks. Like it's gonna be in the hundreds, maybe even in, in the thousands. 
Um, and even things like, you know, when you're designing cover art, if you're not someone who uh, can design the cover art yourself, um, I think then the range is somewhere between $250 and $500 to have someone design the, the, you know, the cover art for you for your book. So um, independent publishing, I think, gives us a lot of freedom in terms of we don't have to worry about anybody, uh, you know, sort of pressing down on our, 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 our artistic vision. But we certainly got to make sure we budget for it, right? And and it goes back to what you were saying, Kelly, about the writer beware. You know, yeah. be really aware about the difference between the independent publisher who will put your book together and the vanity publisher who's going to ask you for like way too much money. You know, and and that you're never going to come out of that. You know, like um, I, you know, I've seen some of these publishers where they go, they say things like, oh, it's it's ten thousand dollars or thirteen thousand dollars. And I think, my goodness, are you kidding? Like if, if you saved up and did it yourself, like bit by bit through like Kindle, through Amazon, through Smashwords, it's not going to be $13,000, especially when some of these publishers are like, give me $13,000 and we'll give you 50 copies of your book. Well, great, but divide 50 copies between $13,000 and you're going to get the price point per book. And is that really like... Is that, are you ever going to get someone to pay that level of cost for your book, well, right? And then the question is, is great. I have these 50 books. Now, what exactly do I do with them? Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, you know, yes, here's $13,000. We're going to publish your book for you. But we didn't say anything about marketing your book. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, you know, we'll yeah. put you on Amazon. We'll put you on Barnes and Noble, but you can do yeah. that yourself. You can do that so, yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so the, the question becomes is, is your publisher the one that's really going to market and push that book? Mm -hmm. Or is that going to be you? Because there are publishers who will ask you for your marketing business plan. Yep. Yeah. Right. And, and you, you hit the nail on the head like so well because, you know, I do have books that are independently published. Like I, you know, when I said I love stories, I really do. And, and, and you know, when, when independent publishing came up, I thought this is a really great opportunity to learn what it means to be to be a publisher. Right. Like I can I can learn all this stuff and then it's only going to help me as I kind of move along. And um, and yeah, like, you know, that's how I know that some of these publishers are going to ask you for a whole lot of money and they're not actually going to do anything you know they're really not going to edit they're telling you that they have a team but it's like one dude in his basement you know um and whereas you're right uh i laugh because that's what happened to me oh my god it's like you know that's so funny because it's so true it's true it's true and you really you know i always um really encourage and caution writers know yourself know where you want to go with your career and make make the choices accordingly and, and you know and and it's going to mean making really really hard decisions because it can be very flattering to have someone come to you and say oh gosh we'd love to publish you would you sign this contract but do your homework are they reputable do they pay on time um, where, what is their marketing plan? What is their expectation of you? What is the editing going to be like? Like there's just so, um, there's so many things that you have to really, really be aware of, you know, because if not, uh, those things will follow you, you know? And, and, um, you know, I had a couple of, of contacts like years ago who, uh, signed up for, um, signed into a publishing company that was really dodgy. 
And I remember this publishing company coming to me and being like, oh, we'd, we'd love to publish you. And like a five minute Google search, I was like, nope. <laughs> um, but you know, like, and, and understandably, like my friends were very, um, they were anxious. They wanted to be published because what's, what's the thing that happens to us every time we tell people we're writers? Oh, well, are you published? And you're like, eh, no. And then it becomes this anxiety, right? right? Uh, and then, you know, and then it's stuff hit the fan. Uh, the publisher was taken to court. There was like all these judgments against them. And you know what my friends found out was that, you know, when they were going to go into like other publishing houses, when they were going to go into um, agents and all those kinds of things that those publishing companies and those agents would Google them and go, well, why did, why did this person sign with this company? Like, this is not a good company. And so it, it, it can follow you, right? So you, you want to make sure you're hungry, but you don't want to be starving, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and that's true. And you know what? They do appeal to the flattery. That's mm -hmm. why I think they're called vanity presses, you know, yeah. because they do, they do flatter you and make promises and then it never happens. And I think as writers, you have to understand that it's a process. Yes. It takes time. And yeah. if you are going to self-publish, you're going to need to pay for an editor. Yes. You're going to need to pay for an illustrator or a graphic mm -hmm. designer unless you can do it yourself. Yeah. Because when you do put out your book, you have to look at it as an investment or your legacy and you want to put the best work out there possible. Somebody had told me she didn't feel that the market was saturated as far as because of self-publishing, but she felt the market was saturated with a lot of garbage mm. because you can self-publish. Yeah. Right? Somebody can say, hey, I wrote this book. It's great. I don't need an editor. Looks yeah. great the way it is. I'm just going to go to Amazon and publish it. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure it happens. Oh, for sure. Well, I don't know if you remember when um, the self-publishing first came in and uh, Amazon Kindle had this thing where you could you could put your book up for free and you could put your book up for 99 cents. And um, readers were really excited because who doesn't want a book for 99 cents? And then all of a sudden there was this huge backlash because re people realized that a 99 cent book, like chances were it could be good. But chances are all really good that uh, this person didn't, they didn't care enough about their readers to take the time and to be patient and to do the edits. And I, I know, um, you know, that's like kind of a hard thing to say and it's a hard thing to hear, you know, but we have to respect our readers. We have to keep them in mind all the time. Um, but then, yeah, then the backlash came where as soon as you said your book was 99 cents, you could just see that people went, oh, one of those. Right. So, yeah, you want to you want to respect your craft. You want to respect your readers. Um, well, you want to put the best possible book out there mm -hmm. possible. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying that you have to spend your life savings to do it. But I'm saying that when you do put your book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever, yep. you want it to be the best possible work that it can be. Yes. Right. And, you know, and I think it's, um, you know, it's worth doing your research on things like this because I know even with, uh, so here in, in, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, that's where I live. Uh, there are um, some of the universities and colleges here where um, the students who go through for graphic design, they, they need to, to have a portfolio. And so you can, you can hire them and they're not professional rates. Um, you don't want to, you know, I mean, you want to pay them a, a decent 
amount too, right? But there, it, it becomes this like really kind of mutual thing because they need the work for the portfolio and you need their work for your, for your book. So there's places to negotiate. Like I know I used, um, I had a student who designed uh, my website like a billion years ago and it was more cost effective than going through a company but it was still, you know, it was within my budget and it was within um, what she considered a fair amount for herself as well, you know? So there's there's things that you can do there. There are communication students who can help you with social media. There's English students who will help you with uh, your editing and, and all those kinds of things. Like there's there's places and, and, and like if you have a friend that you know is really good as an editor, like they, they have that, then, then yes, you can trade your, your manuscripts through, right? You can read yeah. them for the story and they can read you for the edits and, and you can go from there. Like there's always, um, there's always a way, uh, in, in your budget. And I'm, and I'm talking to someone who did the, the independent publishing on, on like a shoestring, right? Um, but I also made sure that I, I saved up so that people were paid fairly because I want to be right. paid fairly, right? Like you, you give what you get, you get what you give. And I would never, I would never want to disrespect somebody's, um, their, their, uh, career, whether that's an editing career or a, a graphic career by, you know, trying to get the hope diamond for 25 cents. Right. Right. And, 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 and when you put it out there, it's out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said, you want it to be the best possible work that it can mm-hmm. and knowing that it's going to take your take time and a process And so that when somebody does invest and purchases your book, they feel like they got a good value. And and then, of course, you have to deal with the reviews. You know, it's horrible to get a review because your book isn't edited properly. Yeah. Right. I mean, and you're like, again, you're you're so right, because, um, you know, the interesting thing is like you want to a certain extent, you kind of want bad reviews. Like you want a bell curve of reviews, at least for me. I want a bell curve of reviews. Because what that means is like, I have my ideal reader, the people who I'm, I'm aiming for, but my book is also enough that people who wouldn't necessarily be my bell curve reader, my ideal reader, like they're willing to give it a chance, right? Um, and I also don't necessarily think it's, how can I say this? If everybody likes my book, I'm a little worried that my book hasn't done what it was supposed to do, right? Like not, you know, we, I, there's lots of great books out there that I don't like, but they're really good books. Um, right. You know, they just didn't appeal to me. Right. So if I, as a reader can be like, well, this book didn't really light me up, then I can't be, um, persnickety or peevish when other people go, well, your book didn't light me up. That's, that's life. That's fair. We're gonna, you know, um, and, and then, you know, in terms of like where those bad reviews fall in, you're right. You don't want the review where the person's like, this character changed names like five different times or, like, right. Why were why were all of these like why were there multiple periods here and 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 why is this weird formatting like you don't want to distract um, you know uh, and and then also like for all of us you know there's there's just going to be reviews where you just go okay well someone you know one of my favorite stories is uh, Judy Bloom who is you know a classic kids writer who talks about getting this review. Um, where the reviewer just trashed her, like to the point where she said she actually took her typewriter and walked to the edge of the hill and contemplated throwing this typewriter over the hill and like never writing again. And I'm glad she didn't because environmentally, you don't want to be throwing stuff like that. Like that's, that's litter. Don't litter. Don't litter, Judy Bloom. Um, but she ended up, you know, 
schlepping this typewriter back to her house. Uh, and then, you know, years later, she ran into the reviewer and um, the reviewer apologized and said that what had happened was she, the reviewer, was eating, um, eating lunch and was reading the book at the same time. And I think what ended up happening was there was this like moment where there's a particularly gross scene and she was eating and it just set her off. Uh, and, and that was the end, like, and it just, you know, that's what happened. And I think sometimes we do get reviews because someone's having a bad day because your character is named Jeff and they knew a Jeff and Jeff was a real jerk and they can't, they can't get over. I mean, listen, I mean, you know, when we talk about naming our babies, right? And our partner goes, oh, I, I really like the name Sue Ann. And you're like, Sue Ann, I knew a Sue Ann. Like, right. you know, these things, <laughs> they, they stick with us, right? Uh, and so, yeah, you know, like those, those are okay, bad reviews, right? It, the, the story didn't appeal to them. They didn't understand the character or, or they didn't agree with the characters. What, you know, those, that's, but you don't. But if it's based off of the editing, if it's then based that's a off, whole yeah. other story is what right? I'm saying. So yeah, exactly. always want to put like the best possible book that you can put out there. Exactly. Natasha, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You I too. This was fun. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on and being a member of the book, book club. You know what this means? This means that you are now an official member of the book club, which Ooh. means uh-huh. you can come back at any time. Oh, lovely. And talk about the next book or sure. a past book sure. or whatever it is that we're going to talk about. We we are going to talk. <coughs> we're going to talk, my friend. Right? We, we, can we talk don't, about we it. Do I don't think it's a problem. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it's a problem. I think we'll Whenever be fine. You're I ready, think we'll be fine. Just, yeah. Just reach out to me and say, Kelly, it's Natasha. I want to come back and we'll make room for you and definitely have you come back. Um, the book is the book that the main book that we talked about today was Maria and the Plague. Yes. Right? Survival of the Black Death. Is that right? Uh, Maria and the Plague, a Black Death survival story. A Black Death survival That's story. That's right. Yeah. And that is available on Amazon. You also have a website. Call it out for us. Natasha Dean, D-E-E-N dot com. And that's where all your books, all your books can be found? All my books. And at the top right, you'll see all my social media links. If you want to join me on Twitter or Insta, by all means, we'd love to see you. Absolutely. And all the information will be in the podcast description. Natasha, again, thank you so much. Thank you for so being much, Kelly. This was a lot on of fun. The, being on the podcast, <laughs> being the newest member to the book club. Excellent. And I definitely will definitely, definitely have to come back. All right. That sounds good. That sounds great. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bright Headed Publishing Patio Book Book Club. I am your host, Kelly Morgan. I just wrapped up with author Natasha Dean. We talked about all her books and her journey to being a writer and just learning all about her. I can't wait for her to come back to talk about more of her books. You can reach Natasha by going to her website, natashadean.com. Next week, another author, a new member to the book club. But until then, keep writing.